time. If you have a Bible, if you can open up to the very last book, it's called Revelation. It's not Revelations, it's just Revelation because there's only one. Any great novel, any great piece of literature is great because it has a great story. And I was thinking about what my favorite book is, and it's a very hard, I couldn't pick just one. So I think if I were to have to, if, if, if I had to pick my favorite nonfiction book, it would be The Last Lion by Will, William Manchester about the life of Winston Churchill. Um, outstanding. Paul Reed ended up finishing it. Um, another book, my, probably my favorite fictional book, is called Peace Like a River by Leif Inger, which is incredible writing. But those two books, very different, one fiction, one nonfiction. Like all great books have one thing in common. They have a great story. And all great stories have a fierce conflict, every one. It's not worth reading if there's not something going on and there isn't trouble looming. The best story is recorded in this book. Now, you might not know it, but the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is one cohesive story. It has a plot, a story arc. It coheres. It's not just a random collection of verses that are sort of glued together so that we can pop it open, read it, and feel better about ourselves. What we have here in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, is one story with the fiercest conflict imaginable. That's what's in the Bible. And today, what we're going to do in the time, I promise to be brief, we're going to to see how this conflict resolves. Today, we're going to remind ourselves, and if if you're not a Christian, this might sound strange, the world today is not how it's supposed to be. This is what the message of the Bible tells us. The world today is not how it's supposed to be. And Christmas marks the beginning of all things being made right. Christmas marks the beginning of the resolution of the greatest, most fierce conflict in the history of the universe. And we're going to see how it all ends up. Revelation chapter 22 Verses 1 through 5. This is the very end of the story. John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. See, this is the end of the story. This is the resolution. This is the place where the conflict is over, and it really is 
a happy ever after end to the story. Whenever fairy tales end with happily ever after, you know that's not true. You know that that's not how it really goes. Because in this world, there is no such thing as happily ever after. And why is that? It's because of the curse. The curse that lies heavy over this world. The curse that lies, that, that lies upon mankind. Revelation 22 tells us, I'm two simple points this morning, I promise I'll be brief. First, the curse will be killed. Look again at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. So in the new heavens and the new earth, nothing will be cursed. In the old earth that we live in now, we live under the sentence of a curse. All creation was cursed. And you might be surprised to hear that we live in a cursed world, but we do. The difficult things that are a part of life were not supposed to be a part of our lives. God created mankind and placed them in a garden paradise. Adam and Eve were placed in Eden. They daily walked with God. They conversed with God. He, assigned, he was assigned by God, Adam was, to be God's unique dep- deputy over all creation. Adam was created to rule as a king over paradise. We read in Genesis chapter 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, like a king, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Adam and Eve were created by God to rule over a curse-free world. They were created to be the beginning of a race of kings and queens who would be God's deputy directors on earth. In addition, Adam was created to be a priest for God. This is what we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord put the man in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The words work it and keep it are the exact words used to describe the task of Jewish priests in the tabernacle and the temple. Adam was to be a king priest in the garden. He was meant to guard and protect the garden sanctuary where the presence of God was located. And now in paradise, you'd think in paradise, that's the easiest job imaginable, right? Imagine God coming to Adam and saying, hey, listen, you guard and keep the paradise that I've created. Now, in paradise, there is no sin. There is no trouble. There aren't very many enemies. And Adam really had the easiest job in the whole world. He's like the night watchman at a place where nothing happens. Well, he should have been, right? And there's only one actual enemy that he needs to watch out for. And it's that very enemy that comes in and eats his lunch. Adam knew that the snake was crafty. He didn't, maybe he didn't know he could speak too, which would have creeped me out. But anyway, we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now, at this point, Adam, who's standing there, the, the Hebrew grammar makes that clear, he's standing there. Satan addresses Eve. Adam is there. Adam should have said, remember, he's, his job is to guard and keep the garden. And he's probably hadn't, much, hadn't had much action yet. And so all of a sudden, here comes a talking snake. He should have said, hey, 
Eve, don't answer that question. Hey, serpent, you need to shut up. God is good. Do not try to have us question His goodness. He's He's not holding out on us. It's my job to keep and guard this garden, and you need to leave. And if you don't leave, I'll crush your head. But that's not what happened. Mankind, Adam and Eve, believed, believed the snake, and they decided they wanted to take the place of God because they thought God was holding out on them. And in that moment, Adam and Eve, when they tasted of that fruit, it wasn't that they were just trying to diversify their diet. They turned their backs on God. And all of creation, mankind included, was plunged into darkness. You see, darkness in the Bible is not just the absence of light. Darkness wants something, and it always wants evil. God pronounces that the creation that he had called good over and over and over again is now cursed. The serpent would slither on the ground only to be one day crushed by Jesus. That's another story. The woman would now have pain in childbearing and be tempted to rule over her husband, introducing marital strife into the relationship. The man, he'd have to work his fingers to the bone just to get food to come up from the ground. The ground, at, until this time, would naturally provide food in abundance. Now, the ground naturally provides weeds, thorns, and thistles. Food would be harder to come by. And more than that, death came into the world. Genesis 3.19 says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Another way to say, you're going to die. You're going to die. You see, death is not a part of life, or it's not supposed to be a part of life. This week, my wife's grandmother, who was almost 90 years old, died. She was a Christian. She's now with Jesus Even at 90, even at 90, death is not natural. It was wrong that she was taken away. We, as humans, made in the image of God, were not designed by God to taste death. But we do. Why? Because the world is not what it should be. It's cursed. And the worst part of this curse is that mankind was barred from the presence of God. They were designed, we were designed to be in the presence of God, and God sent them away for their own protection. They were driven from the presence of God because they sinned and turned their back on Him, and they were not worthy. God had created mankind and intended to be with mankind, but mankind turned His back and went away. And if you think, if I was in the garden, in the situation with Adam and Eve, I'd do a lot better job. Romans 5 tells us, no, we would all do exactly the same. So you might not realize it, but all of us work under cursed conditions. And we can be so used to the way the world is to assume this is the way it should be, but it's not. It's not. Everything is broken. Everything we live under is cursed. See, we're not built to work ourselves to the bone and have no one notice. We're not built to have children 
that we raise only to have them walk away from the Lord. We're not built to experience accidents, disease, and death. We're not built to suffer the way we have to. We're not, we shouldn't experience times when God seems distant. We, distant. we do because we live under the curse. But Christmas is the beginning of the unwinding of the curse. Christmas is the beginning of the curse being pushed back once and for all. At that place, in the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation 22, verse 3 says, No longer will there be anything accursed. And what's the primary, preeminent thing about this new world, this new creation, that shows that it's not cursed? What is it here? The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship them. Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. The first sign that there is no more curse is that God will finally and forcibly be with His people, personally and forever. See, right now, We come as Christians to the Father by the Son. We pray. We have have an audience with Him. But even that isn't what it should be. We were designed to walk with God and see God. We were designed to be in His presence day and night. But we can't be. There... He will not be remote. We will see His face, Christians, and we will be like Him. God told Moses that no one could see His face and live, but we will see His face and we will be with Him forever. And His name will be on our foreheads. That's a priestly reference. The high priest would enter into the, tab- the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle and the, and the temple once a, year, once a year and be in the presence of God, and he would wear this crown that had the name of God on it. In other words, all of us Christians, all of us who trust Jesus, who are with Him forever, will be priests serving Him forever. Not only that, but our royal heritage will be restored. Look at verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp of sun or no, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And check this out. And they will reign forever and ever. In other words, we will be royal priests. Now notice how this starts. This book starts with our father and mother, Adam and Eve, getting kicked out of the garden, getting out of the presence of God, saying, you must leave for your own protection and safety. And it ends with mankind reigning as kings and queens with God forever and ever. We will be so identified with our God and His rule that we will reign forever and ever over new creation. Mankind will rule, for example, over the angels. That's, we're going to be the boss of the angels, right? So I'm, I'm ready to abuse some authority when I get up there. Not really. But I'm ready to like, you know, you, we will all rule over angels. And we will be, best of all, with God forever. You may not realize it, but at the bottom of your soul, what you want most is to be with God. You were created to be with Him, 
And until you are with him, you will feel a little bit displaced and wandered. Now, you might not be able to put your finger on it. You might not be able to, to express it in the way that I'm talking about. Yes, we Christians, if you're a believer, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, but we cannot see him. We were made to converse with him face to face. And that sense of wrongness that we all grapple with is because we can't be with him the way we were designed to be. And one day, the cursed world that we live on will be remade. And the curse will be reversed. And the curse will be killed. And on that day, light will finally and forcibly defeat the darkness. The very last line. After verse 5, it's exhortations that say, hey, Jesus is coming, you better do what I'm, what I'm saying. This is the end of the story in verse 5. The very last thing that John wants us to know is that night will be no more. There will be no light or lamp of, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. What does that mean? Well, it means there will be no darkness for evil to hide in. Notice the symmetry. The very first words recorded in this book are what? Let there be light. And there was light. The very last words. Now light dominates everything. Light really has shown in the darkness. And the darkness really can't overcome it. In Revelation we find that the light finally and fully prevails. And this conflict that we live in, this darkness that we live under, will all be gone. All the evil we live with that, that lives in us, that we've grown used to, will be gone. The light of our God will illuminate everything and evil will have no place to hide. There will be no natural disasters. There will be no miscarriages. There will be no cancer. There will be no unkind words. There will be no temptation to discouragement. There won't be any sadness, no misery, no loneliness, no dejection, just joy, glorious joy. See, part of the reason we celebrate the first Advent is to look to the second. And the only reason we have joy today or can have joy today is because of that baby born so long ago. Things in our world break down and fall apart. But this world that we live in now is not the world that we will live in forever. The evil world, the dark world that we inhabit will one day be dominated by light. This week, <clears throat> I happened to be in the town that I grew up in, El Paso, Texas, with my 17-year-old son. And so, I wanted to show him the house that I spent eight or nine years in. <clears throat> and so, I didn't need to put it in GPS, I knew the directions. And I went there, and it was just the same, except totally different. And what I mean is... When we moved there in 1981, it was all brand new. The houses were brand new. The streets were brand new. 
The middle school down the road was brand new. Everything was brand new, and, and you could tell. You know, when you, when you go into a new neighborhood, everything is where it should be. Nobody has their cars parked in the yard and stuff like that. We've got everything is where it should be. And I, go, I went to that old neighborhood, and it had fallen apart and gotten old. And it had the middle school down the road that I went to closed up. Everything that was familiar had fallen apart and broken down. And I couldn't express to my son, I was like, yeah, it wasn't like this. But that's the way it is in our world, isn't it? The new things get old. Things that are good break. But that's not the way that it always will be. One day we will live in a place where there will be no darkness. Things will not break. They will go from new to stronger and stronger and stronger. People will not age and get weaker. They will age and get stronger. Your mind will grow sharper with the years and not duller. Your understanding will deepen with the years and not grow more shallow. Your excitement will deepen and get bigger over the years and not get to a spot where you say, I've seen it all. Why? Because in that world, with our God, we will be with Him, we will be like Him, and we will be where we were born to be. Every blessing we have as Christians causes us to look forward. I mean, we're going to have so many. But every blessing we have comes from the misery Jesus endured. This is why Christianity is so different from other religions. I started out saying this world is cursed, and it's not the way it should be. But you know what makes Christianity different? God came. He entered into his cursed world. He didn't stay removed or remote. He did something none of us would do. He took on... He became a man, and, he, and more than that, a baby. See, he came to inhabit his cursed world that he created that turned its back on him. He didn't just come to inhabit that cursed world. He, in hanging on the cross, literally became a curse for mankind. The punishment for sin was poured out on him. So he has been, in our world, the thing most accursed. The one most accursed as he hung on that cross. And the wrath of God was put on him. Paul would say, he who knew no sin on the cross became sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. That's a trade. And so this is one of the reasons, as Christians, we have reason to hope and reason to be thankful at Christmas. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is what makes everything about what we believe different. Our king came and became a humble peasant. He left heaven to come to earth. Instead of just announcing a curse, he became a curse for his own people. 
the God who lives in unapproachable light, became a man and endured unspeakable darkness. Why? So that we might one day be in a place where God will be our light. See, the reason this story is compelling is because the author of the story wrote himself in. And he wrote himself into this story to defeat all of our enemies. Friends, darkness that holds such a grip on our world and in our lives is a, is a fading thing. Its days are numbered. The evil that seems so smug and sure will one day be destroyed fully and finally. There will be a day, Christmas tells us, as we look ahead, that there won't be wars, there won't be rumors of wars, there won't be earthquakes, there won't be people angry at each other. There'll be no experiences where we have strained relationships. No conversations where we are with people and it feels awkward. There'll be no sin that we carry around with us. There'll be no weaknesses that we endure. Evil that seems to fill every nook and cranny in our world will one day fully and forcibly be sent away and destroyed. Why? The Son of Righteousness, the light of the world, has come. And He's coming again. That's why. The curse is now even broken. But soon it will be killed. And the darkness, even now, is shuddering with fear. And one day, it will be completely destroyed. That's what this story says. And if you're a Christian, you're part of this story. If you're not, you can be. The darkness that you feel in your life is caused by the curse of sin. Anyone, anyone can get relief from that curse at any time if they just recognize they're a sinner, which just means you fall short of the standard and that you need someone to take your place. And that someone's Jesus Christ. Jesus was punished so that sinners like me could come to him and say, please forgive me. See, in Jesus' life, he was punished for my many sins so that I might receive his righteousness. And you can experience that. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to talk to someone who you know is and ask them questions. Christians, we will not contend with evil forever. That's what Christmas tells us. We are, and one day will be, seen to be sons and daughters of light. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would hasten the day of your return. I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to anticipate and see all that you have planned. Lord, one day we will live in a place that is not cursed. And in these days, we live in a place that is cursed. And so I pray that you would, any here who are struggling with, with darkness, with depression, with hardship in their life, that they 
feel is just an immovable, an immovable force, Lord, I pray that you would come alongside them and strengthen them. If they're Christians, Lord, I pray that they would, they would gather hope and, and, and purpose from all that you've done for them already in Christ. If they're not, Lord, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, help them to turn to you, Lord. For the darkness cannot stand before you. Your light, no matter how dark we are, no matter where, what dark places we've gone, no matter what evil or wickedness we've engaged in, your light can make anyone clean. And so, Lord, I pray that you would even now stir those in this room that are not believers to want to trust you. And I pray for those who are Christians to trust you even more. I pray for this holiday season, Lord, that you'd give us opportunity as a church and as individual Christians to share our faith with those that we gather with this year in the next few days. And Lord, I pray that you would awaken hearts and open minds. I pray, Lord, that as people come suffering in the darkness of their despair, Lord, that you would help us as Christians to be a light and point to the light of the world. Jesus, thank you for entering our darkness giving us hope. Thank you, Jesus, that one day we will be with you, we will see you, and we will be like you, and we'll be home. Until then, keep us safe and close to you. In your name we pray. Amen.